AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to my team. Thank you, Sim, Tiffany, Sam, and the team over at Good Juju Studios, Erica England, Pepper Chambers, the hot one, and my social media team. I am blessed to be here with the wonderful, the great, the one and only Dr. Philip Agnew. You know, Agnew, I got to put the accent on Agnew. That, that means something to me. I don't know why, but it's just that specialness in that last name you got, Philip Agnew. Brother Agnew, Dr. Agnew. And you really, I mean, you are an activist, a teacher, a preacher. You and I have shared stories about being a preacher's kid. And going to church eight days a week, we have that in common. And we just, we, we bonded, we connected because I think because we have so much in common. And I know for a lot of folks, you came to national prominence, although you've been on this journey uh, since your days at FAMU. I want to talk to you about why HBCUs are all of that and two bags of barbecue laid potato chips. We got to talk about about. HBCUs, but you came to national prominence, certainly as being one of the co-founders of the Dream Defenders. You all were out there, you united, you converged on folks' offices, 
over the shooting, the killing, the death of Trayvon Martin. I like to think of you activist, teacher, preacher, cultural critic, brother, son, black man in America doing the daggone thing to bring justice, peace, liberty, pursuit of happiness to our people and all people by extension. So it is such a pleasure. I have not, we have not seen each other since the campaign trail. I am so glad to be on here with you, Senator Turner. It's been far too long since we saw each other. And, uh, you know, I'm honored out of, uh, out of any accomplishment that I have in my life. I'm most proud of my honorary doctorate from the Nina Turner School of Hellraising Humanitarian. So I'm, I'm proud to be Dr. Agnew now. Amen. <laughs> Not just anybody can get them degrees, okay? I just want folks to know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't give many of those out. Not at all. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's so great to be with you. I know I'm, I'm glad that we can have a moment of levity it's such a heavy time for us in the country and in the world, COVID, and now a lot of civil unrest demonstrations that are just bubbling up all over the country, really all over the world, sparked by the murder of George Floyd. But you and I know as black people in America, this has been bubbling up for generations. And every now and then it spills over for everybody to see, not just the conversations we have in the black community. But now all the world is seen and this happens. This reminder happens all the time. And so, Agnew, one of the questions that I have for you as we think about this moment, and we can talk about both COVID and the civil unrest or the demonstrations, however people want to frame it. When you and your colleagues got together to fight and to lift the voice of Trayvon Martin and what happened to him, are there any similarities to what's happening now? And as an activist and an organizer, what words of wisdom and advice do you have for people in this particular moment? There's a lot of similarities, right? There is the, one of the more obvious ones that this is a police or a vigilante murder. And uh, it doesn't matter if it's a person who identifies as a man, person who identifies as a woman, a transgender person. When police officers see a black person, they shoot to kill and they aim to kill. And when you have even vigilante violence, what we know in the history of this country is that every white person at least feels as if, um, because they're protected like they are, they feel that they're a deputy. They're a potential deputy able to police and arrest and accost and, if need be, murder um, a black person in this country. So the similarities are there and they're striking. Um, you know, it, it sounds crazy, Senator Turner, but just about three or four weeks ago, we were talking about Ahmaud Arbery and, yeah. and, and what happened with Ahmaud Arbery. And these names keep stacking up and piling up because we have a policing system. And it's important that we talk about the systems. We have a policing system that protects property that serves the interests of the wealthy and polices black people. And so we say uh, over in the nice neighborhoods in Miami on Fisher Island, they get safety. And in Liberty City and Little Haiti, they get policing. And so these are accumulated, accumulated grievances and funerals and um, assaults and batteries and uh, uh, being detained and being harassed by police officers on a daily basis to amount to these uprisings. 
And when it comes, Senator, to some advice I would give, it is to use these moments to get everything that you can, everything that we can. We need to use this moment to pass every law, to pass every policy, every restriction, every budget cut, every budget expansion. And by cut, I mean to the police budget. By expansion, I mean to social, social services for our people. And get everything that we can out of this moment and keep our foot on the gas. And remember that these moments, these catalyzing crucible moments do end. And so you have to be doing two things at once or many more things at once. Get everything we can out of this moment, but also be looking for and identifying leaders that are in the streets. Be looking for and identifying organizations that are moving people in the streets so that we can begin to build a movement that lasts when the cameras are gone and when the attention and all the celebrities and politicians are done talking about what's happening to black people. That's right, Agnew. And your point is well taken. We do have to, we, the black people are co-conspirators and our allies, two different things. You know, our brother Killer Mike talks about co-conspirators all the time. That's a little deeper commitment to be a co-conspirator for justice. And but but you're absolutely right in terms of we have to strike right now. This kind of synergy and energy is not going to be with us always. So the planning part becomes that much more important. And everybody has to do what they can, where they are, with what they have. Everybody has a different role and a different task. And together we make the whole. So I, I thank you so much for just even reminding us of this. It's a finite timeline for this particular moment. But the justice journey is long. It never ends, obviously. From our perspective, it, it certainly never ends. Do you... So you you created the, the Black Men Build. Was that, was that spawned by what's happening right now? Or was that something that you always had in your mind's eye, but the timing is perfect in this moment? It has been something that I've been working on with a group of brothers and sisters and comrades of all identities for over a year now. This came about because we recognize that our brothers are being left behind in the conversation. They're not showing up in the ways that they can because they're struggling. And we're struggling. We're we're going through, we have a whole bunch of things happening externally. We got police, we got prisons, we got no jobs. And then also we have internal struggles that we're going through. The things that we've been taught about ourselves, the thing that we've been taught about love and everybody else. And those things add up to us not being a part of the movement in the way and in the numbers that we need to be. And so for me, I've observed this for many years. Sometimes I'm one of the only brothers in the room. Um, maybe sometimes it's three or four of us in there, but. Over the many years, I, you know, of, of being a part of the movement, we make up maybe five to ten percent of it, and 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 it, it isn't because um, we don't want to be there, but there haven't been, um, you know, what we recognize is we need to engage with brothers in a different way and provide a place for them to come and begin to get uh, political education and find ways for them to contribute, and um, the sisters and the queer folks and They've been stepping up and they've been out in the street and they've been leading. And this is a generational thing. They've always been there and they've always been a part of the movement. And black men have been a part 
it's not like black men are all resting, but there's a huge segment of our of our community that is being left out and left behind, not intentionally, but if we don't do something intentionally to recruit them, then it it, it isn't it isn't a mistake anymore. It becomes a part of who we are. And so we, we've been building this for a year. And so Black Men Build launched, and it is a place for Black men to come to be educated and to engage this country as an organized force, not for Black men, not only interested in the issues that affect Black men or how they affect Black men, but really so that we can get in the game of our lives alongside our sisters, alongside our brothers, alongside people of all identity, really in the service of all Black people and uh, not be recruited by the right wing who talks about anti-women, who talks about anti-immigrant, who talks about um, anti-other uh, identities, and, and not to be roped into that ideology, which is inherently white, inherently destructive of Black people. So we've been working on it for a while, and unfortunately, there it seemed to be when we launched that there was once again a conversation about Black men being murdered, but also black men's roles in, in, in abuse and violence towards women, et cetera. Those are, those two conversations are happening right now. And hopefully we can start to provide a place to answer both. Yeah, absolutely. And those are two very important conversations. And I'm glad, you know, a year and it takes time. I mean, really the example of black men build to me serves as yet another example for folks who want to create something, those creative forces that are out there and what you are creating might not happen overnight. Oftentimes things of substance don't happen overnight, but here you are, you and your colleagues working towards this goal and right in the moment that it is most necessary, it's ready to go, which is an extraordinarily beautiful thing. And so, so you have the, the black man survival guide is, is a publication. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that survival guide and, and some of the things that people will find when they read it. Yep. So the survival guide came out of an idea from two brothers that are part of this. And these are brothers who are organizers. So a brother, um, Jonathan Taylor out of SEIU and brother Richard Wallace, who has an organization in Chicago called Equity and Transformation Now East in Chicago. And, um, that's your hometown. I, I hate to, I hate to break That's in, but let, let folks know you repping your hometown. Yeah, you know, I, I got to rep the hometown and the home team and also got to big up Richard because of the work that he's doing is, is just incredible. Um, but they, we put together this survival guide recognizing that there are millions of ways for a black man to die in this country, millions of ways for a black person to die in this country. And when we first started to develop the survival guide, we were talking about COVID. That's the sad truth that we, we don't, you, that some of the things that we talked about on the campaign trail, you know, you don't have health care, you don't have adequate housing, adequate food, adequate water, you're living under stress every day. These are the pre-existing conditions that COVID attacks in your body and in your, in your mind and in your soul. So that's what we decided to engage with, with the survival guide. And so in the survival guide, you'll find information on how to protect yourself during COVID. We, we also have information for um, the essential workers in our community. One of the more specific is the most essential worker to some people in the community, your local weed man. So we got some information for if you are, if you find yourself in the, in the uh, marijuana trade, how to keep yourself safe, how to keep yourself sanitized. We have information for, for brothers who find themselves at home 
more than they used to. And so you're at home with your kids, you're at home with your baby mama or your wife or your girlfriend, and you don't know what to do with all of the stress. So there's yeah. information for how to deal with stress, how to deal with conflict resolution, because things are starting to boil over and you don't know what to do because, you know, I'll be damned if we build an organization for black men and black men are still putting their hands on their, on their sisters and um, talking to their sisters any type of way. And so we have some information for how to deal with that. We have recipes. If you find yourself having to cook for the kids, we have some recipes in there. Um, we also have things that are maybe on the more serious level. So some information on community protection, because, uh, you know, we know that the, one of the leading causes of death for black men is police violence. And so, um, we have some information on how to arm yourself. What are your, what are your, um, what are the rules? What are your rights when being accosted or approached by a police officer, legal help? Um, so it, it really runs the gamut. We also have things for fitness in there um you know keeping your body type meditation how to keep your mind and your spirit aligned so it's a 42 page document and it's available on our website blackmen.build not.com.build and you can find it and download it there and it's the first edition senator turner we're going to keep coming out with them and updating them as we learn more from brothers who have some of this knowledge and sisters across the country. You know, Dr. Agnew, I really love that. And I, and I read that basically you, in this guide, you and your colleagues have also put out to black men, if you see something that's missing, add to it. So it, it continues to grow and engulf other ideas, maybe some things that folks have missed. You know how when you're doing stuff with groups, there'll be one person who can see something that you didn't necessarily see, or they experienced something that you didn't experience and they add to the whole. And that is the beauty about black men build. And that guide, this very holistic guide that you all have created that is so necessary. And, you know, when you talk about, you know, bringing up the police shootings and we really are dealing with that in a very heavy way. One of many things that we have to deal with as black people in America you know, I was looking at a uh, some stats that came out about, you know, the fatal police shootings in the United States of America. Uh, this came out through the Washington Post, and I believe it was in June of this, well, right now, June 2020, and it was a graph that showed the fatal police shootings in the United States since January of 2015, and blacks are, no surprise, disproportionately impacted or affected. And so we make up about 13% of the population as collectively men and women I'm talking. And, but we are 43% of the fatal shootings. Our Hispanic sisters and brothers, the Latinx sisters and brothers make up 12% of that population. And they are 33%. Our white sisters and brothers to share their share in the population. 60% and, and they only make, so they're the largest share, but they make up 17% of the fatal police shootings in the United States of America. And then our sisters and brothers who would kind of go into that other category, I say the swirl, you know, the swirls in between about 15% of the population and they are 6% of the fatal police shootings. So let me go back to black folks, 43%. And if we were to imagine that black men probably get shot at a little higher rate, I'm not sure if that's true, but I'm saying if we imagine that, 
even if we split a seven yeah. seven or six and seven or six point five, forty three percent. Come on, yeah. now, that that's a nine one one. Yes, yes. There's there's no other institution sending a turn. And I was talking to a brother today who was wondering why we say. You know, we use we use our language. We say after police. Why do we why do we say that? And I know I know that there are a lot of sisters and brothers and families that count police officers as as family and, and as loved ones and as people who have been respectful and are loving parts of the community. But when we're talking about the police as an institution, okay. there is no other institution in our country that I know of. That have that would have the death rate, the murder rate, the brutality rate. If we had a hospital where forty three percent of the black patients that went to the hospital were dying, we would close that hospital. It would be f that hospital. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see a doctor from it. And any doctor that worked there doesn't deserve to work anywhere else because because that hospital is not providing the services. If we had a law office that lost. 43% of the cases with black clients, we would, we would start to wonder whether that law office wasn't able to do its job. And that's what we're seeing with the police, um, in this country. And people can't, people are scared to call them for yes. help. That, that, that's a, that's a problem because as you were saying a little bit earlier, the whole notion, and we got to get down to the root of this. And so many people don't want to admit how policing really started, especially in the black community, in the African-American community, starting with the slave catchers. So it's never been an institution that was created to protect and serve black folks. You gave that description of very two different communities. And what happens in one, the one is white and more affluent. And what happens in in another, black and less affluent, two different worlds. And so we do have to come to grips as a nation about that reality, number one. And number two, that black folks have been crying out about this forever, since day zero, as one of my elders yeah. would say, since day zero. And nobody yeah. nobody listens to our cries, Agnew, until there's some bloodshed. Talk, talk to us about that. I mean, why is that? Because, you know, the dealing with the police and law enforcement and the systemic, you're right, is the system. Is, is one thing like we're going to deal. We got to deal with that. We are going to deal with that. We can't let that go. But something else that just really troubles me that has kept me up at night is is bigger than, than law enforcement because they just a microcosm. They just a mini, uh, a mini positioning, a mini mirror of America. Why is it that there always has to be some type of bloodshed or sacrifice within the African-American community for white America in particular to wake up and say, oh, that's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, what y'all didn't notice what you know, we've been telling y'all. I, I, I think by now it is willful ignorance, willful ignorance, willful denial and ignorance of the facts because they are right in front of your face. So if you are a white person in 2020 in the United States of America who hasn't been able to allow police murder and brutality against black people to crack your consciousness or to be in your eyesight or to be something that is believable to you, it is willful. So that's one thing I'll say. 
the other thing I'll say, if I could be a little bit more compassionate for some people, is we all build our own little universes. And even me as a progressive, radical leftist, you know, I've been called a whole bunch of those the crazy persons. I still don't, on a daily basis, on every minute of the day, factor in what it means to exist in this country as a black woman or a black gay person. And so there are parts of that experience that I need to be reminded or regrounded in or just continuously seek to understand. And I think in this country, which teaches and nurtures so much individualism and self-interest and myopic pursuit of personal success, it's easy to forget what it's like to exist in this country and be empathetic to somebody else. And I think that's the secondary issue to willful, to, to the willful denial of what's going on is that some people are just so locked in their own world that nothing has been able to crack it. And then the third reason I'll say, Senator Turner, is I think people mix up the individuals with the systemic. So I've heard so many people say, no, I know this black officer and I know this officer. I know this person. I say, I know some of those people too. I know those people to be good people. What we're talking about is a system that actually does a lot to ostracize those good people, including some of the things I've heard showing up late to back them up or, or sabotaging them. Or, or mistreating them or let, not letting them get promotion or, uh, you know, all manner of things that they do to those good people that we're talking about to make sure that those good people don't change what is at the heart of what policing is in this country. And so I think a lot of people mix up when we say the police are rotten. They say, well, no, I know my neighbor. I know my family member. I'm saying I, I know that person, too. And I actually empathize with that person because they have to go every go to work every day within an institution that hates them for being so damn good. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. 
Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right. No, point well taken. I mean, as you know, I I am one of those people who have loving, compassionate, went, you know, joined law enforcement for all the right reasons, folks in my family and, and navigating all of those universes. And the fact that you constantly are pointing us towards the system itself, systemic. Now, we know individuals operate within that system, but it is the system itself that has gone awry. It is the system itself that has allowed for law enforcement officers to be able to act out in a certain way with just a blatant total disregard system-wise for black bodies, for black lives, for black humanity. I mean, we were to focus just even a little bit, Dr. Agnew, on what happened to, to Mr. Brooks, for example, from the ATL you know, what Fulton County, he was there. And I was just thinking to myself, and I know I'm a little more seasoned than you, but, you know, in, in the good old days where law enforcement would say, you know, Agnew uh, or Mr. Brooks, let's not put you in there, but Mr. Brooks, you, you had a little too much to drink. It seems we did the test on you. Wendy's called. Let's go and call your loved one. Somebody come pick you up and take you home. We got your car. You can't take it. We'll take it. You know, he would have been able to go home or, but it was just this rush to do what they did. Now, don't get me wrong. He shouldn't have touched the taser. He shouldn't have been rolling on the ground with them. But once that happened, the law, the police officers had a decision to make, de-escalate it or keep it going. Once he broke out running, I mean, what you going to do? Look, you got the brother's car. You know where he lives. You can settle up after. You know, put a warrant out for his arrest. At least he would have lived to tell the story. And I have seen video, Agnew, and I'm sure you have seen similar video where white men have taken similar actions all wrong because you're not supposed to be tussling. More extreme. More extreme, though. Right, more extreme. And took the tasers and beat up on them, whooped them up, and they lived to tell the story. But Mr. Brooks did not live to tell the story. So to me, it is the action, their reaction to his actions. And the encounter actually started off pretty civil if you watch the whole thing and then it just escalated out of control when you have this man who was sleeping off what what you know it was obvious that he was inebriated but sleeping it off and he ends up dead Mm -hmm. 
I don't, I do understand it, but I, I just need people from our lens and especially what you have to say about this because you have been an activist, you know, on this battlefield. I hate, it is a battle. It's a struggle every day. We don't want to struggle and battle every day, but you've been in this world on a regular basis and just what is it about black people and black men in particular that police officers respond this way to us? Yeah, it's in the history. It's in it's in their DNA and not in the officer's DNA. It's in the training and the teaching. And you alluded to it earlier of a police department. The during the, the beginnings of police departments. Um, and, and we don't need to go through every piece of their evolution, but the beginning found its roots in slave catching, returning slave, returning Africans who were enslaved back to the plantations. And so the nature of policing at that time was to be brutal, was to be inhumane, and was to be uncompromising with black people particularly black men, but black women were running away and escaping and living and trying to build new lives. And so black people are always seen and always have been seen as a threat. Then you, now let's fast forward 200, 300 now years of policing. We've been inundated every single day with imagery of the black man, particularly as a, as a brutal, as superhuman strength, superhuman speed. Um, superhuman pain tolerance, um, in, in, indignant. Um, and so you, you couple that with the nature of who actually, um, when we're talking about white folks predominantly, with the nature of who joins the police force. Many of these white folks are people who have grown up in communities where they were uh, taught about the essential fear they should have about and towards black men and black people, but also you have a training and a culture within police departments that we are the law. We don't yeah. enforce the law. We are the law. And when you have that, you begin to develop a culture of people who don't know how to take that thought. They don't know how to take someone asking them a question or asking for clarity because they've been popped up and told since day one that you are the law. You're the only thing standing in the way of uh, raised and, cr and crazed black people and the wealthy in this state or that uh, any move by a black person can result in you not making it home. And these people are scared, you know, scared crazy. And they're yeah. going out there and they're So you combine a fear of black people with a hate of black people with the license to kill and you're going to get what we have. Mind blown. I know, really. I mean, this is a, it's heavy. It is really, really, mm -hmm. this is a tremendously painful time in our nation's history. One of my biggest concerns is that if we don't learn the lesson and learn it now, we're going to repeat this several more times, many more times, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So to those lessons, Dr. Agnew, let's, let's talk about some of the things that people can learn from this moment. Maybe you want to share some of the things in the, your activist journey from the Trayvon Martin the Trayvon Martin situation, but what lessons learned and what advice and recommendations do you have both for the activist community? And even if you have some recommendations and advice for leaders who are elected as well 
including the police force. Yeah. You know, I, I think that if I had a lesson for all of the groups, it would be if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And right now we're using the police as a hammer on people and putting police officers and the police department in positions to have to handle issues that they never should have to handle in the first place. That safety, it does not equal police or policing. Safety is adequate food, water, housing, education, jobs, health care, art programs, community programs. That is what safety looks like. And until we look at our economy, until we look at why there are so many people desperately poor, while there are so few people incredibly rich, why there are so many people living in hell, while people are planning on living on the on Mars, then we are going to continue to have these issues. And so we can't, whether you're a politician an activist, an organizer, a protester, or a police department, these issues are going to continue to uproot our society and transform our daily lives until we build a society where people have basic necessities and more. I'm not saying bare minimum. I'm saying that's where we start. That's the floor, not the ceiling. And so that's my advice. If you're an organizer, fight for defunding the police and refunding the community. And that is what we I learned out of Chicago, what they're saying in Chicago, and I love that. Defund the police, refund the community. We need communities that have safety, and safety doesn't look like the long arm of the law. And we would have the communities that we need. And the idea that we can exist without police is not an idea that comes from the future that will never happen. There are communities right now that you can drive through today that don't have a police car in sight, and they are living their best lives. It's happening already, and we need and deserve to be able to live lives of safety that are divorced from the long arm of the law. And you're talking about a total reimagining, or at least imagining, because to reimagine something means you imagined it in the first place. So that's 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 deep, Agnew. Some people will not be able to wrap their minds around that. You know, the point that you made about the wealth and having people basically living in abject poverty, not knowing where their next meal is going to come from in the health care. You know, don't even get me started on that. But, you know, there was a report that just came out recently that, you know, there 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 are a few people really wholesale profiting off of this moment when we have approaching 44 million people who are unemployed. But the wealth of American billionaires have skyrocketed by about 20% or $584 billion since the start of the pandemic. Now wrap your mind around that. So we got 44 million people who filed for unemployment thus far and climbing. We haven't even hit the peak. And you have less than 10 people Five. Yeah. I think it's five of them. Bezos, Gates, Zuckerberg, Buffett, and and Larry Ellison. So Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, and Larry Ellison. Are you feeling me, Agnew? Amazon, Microsoft, mm-hmm. Facebook, Ber- Berkshire Hathaway, Oracle. So they're, the wealth, 20% or 584 
billion dollars would it be since the start of the corona pandemic? And we keep saying what we can't have, what we can't do when it comes to poor people, when it comes to the working poor, when it comes to the barely middle class, what cannot happen. Meanwhile, back at the ranch or back on Mars, because you're right, people think this. No, they are plotting to get their behinds up on Mars. They they live they live in like several best lives at the expense of everybody else. And I want to be clear, not against wealth. Wealth is a beautiful thing. Wealth is your health. Wealth is love. Wealth is your spiritual well-being, your mental well-being, breathing clean air, having food and clean water and, and being able to meet your needs and sometimes getting a little bit of what you want. That's wealth. What we're talking about, Agnew, is excessive greed where you have built this, your quote unquote, your wealth on the backs and the necks of people who have to suffer while you make Money worth twenty lifetimes, and key and your kids' lifetimes. When some folks are living sleep sleeping out on the streets with their babies, and I, I just don't get it. Twenty percent since the start of the Corona pandemic. And then we got some politicians who won't even stand up for Medicare for all. Agnew, walk me through this. Help me understand. <laughs> well, I mean. There is there is a, a a quote in capitalist circles that says you never let a good crisis go to waste. Go to waste. That is the nature of capital in this country and the world over. That there is nothing that can't be commodified, including and maybe especially the misery of people. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people, and people uh, also get very they. they Cross up their faces when I say this, but these are sociopaths. And uh, no one likes to throw around those words when you talk about people and people want everybody to be nice. But at some point, when you have more wealth than the entire nation, many entire nations in this world, you have to have silenced your human nature by that point. You have to know that you have wealth that could not have been earned had it not been for the destruction of nations, water systems, and people's health, and their lungs, and their ability to reproduce, and their ability to farm. These men know exactly what they're doing to this world. They have every belief that they are entitled to it, though. And that is what we are up against. We are not up against people who are accidental billionaires. You don't become an overnight accidental billionaire. You do it full knowing that you are taking advantage of people's lives and destroying them. And that's what we're seeing. They are not letting a good crisis go to waste. And there is no limit. There is no limit to their greed. And if we think we can reason with somebody, if we think we can plead with somebody, who has more wealth than entire continents and nations and if everybody there worked 5,000 hours a day for 50 years, they still wouldn't have half of their wealth. If you believe you can reason and show your morality to that person, you got another thing coming. They shouldn't exist. That is just so true. We got to reckon with, we really do have to reckon with that. Well, Agnew, you and I both come from a spiritual spiritual families, a belief in a creator. I know that all who are 
you know, joining us on this journey might not see things that way. You know, for some of us, it's the universe. For others, they're agnostic or atheist. Uh, for others, it's different religions. For you and I, it's uh, Christianity and a spirituality and a belief that there is an abundance to be had by most. You know, even the scripture says that the poor will be with us always. But it's also what would Jesus do to help the poor and the downtrodden and people and the dispossessed and the despised? You know, that that lesson that he was just throwing out there to me further obligated those of us who do make it, so to speak, or get close enough. What is our obligation to whom much is given, much is required? I believe that. I know that you believe that. And I also know that we have people who are, are joining us right now who believe that too. So I want you to respond as we you know, wrap up this session. It was very heavy. We, we told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And people need to let that marinate a little bit. The truth is uh, it's, it's hard, but it's right. But, you know, I'm thinking about, I've, I've just been channeling Brother brother uh, James Baldwin. But this, this come, came to my mind listening to you. When he said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. What say you, Dr. Agnew? I, you know, I love that quote. Um, I think this country does everything that it can to not have to face itself. And for people who do not like protests and they want to call them rioters and looters, these are the only moments in these crucible moments where people take the street where they shine a mirror on what the United States is. And the United States, the country that um, is our home, the country that many of us have grown to at least, at the very least, appreciate, um, is a bastard who murdered and destroyed the people who called this place home first and then murdered and destroyed millions of African lives in order to build it up. And that is the history of this country. And until we face it, we will never be able to challenge it or overcome it. And this is not a mere uh, masochistic exercise where we are just want to be mean and cruel to ourselves. And But it is in the pursuit of actually building a country, not that the forefathers wanted, because they built the country they wanted. They built an exploitative um, country. They built exactly what they wanted. I don't have any love for any of the forefathers. But this is in the pursuit of potentially helping to build a world that we can be proud of and that we can survive on. If you don't believe in anything else but your survival, if we continue along this path, we will not have a world to live in, which is why these guys are trying to go live on Mars. And so, and so that's what I think. We've gotta, we've gotta face all of these things, and it is by virtue of the people who are out there pushing that we are. They're, they're asking, they're saying, mirror, mirror on the wall, right? Mm -hmm. What is this country gonna be? What is this country okay. gonna be? Is it ever gonna be? Um, what it could be. And this is not a nationalistic thing, but as a world global partner, how will the current nation of the United States actually serve to benefit the world and not destroy it as it has been doing? Hello, somebody. Oh, hello, somebody. Hello. Hello. So we got to understand 
who we are, what we are, why we are in the position we are today. Be willing to hold some folks with fancy titles that we elected to office accountable. Hold ourselves accountable that we can, in the words of Brother Mahatma Gandhi, be the change we want to see in the world. I can't shake that quote either, Agnew, because it is just so powerful because that gives authority for all of us, titled and untitled, to really do something. You know, you, you don't have to have a fancy title to do something. And be in pursuit of creating the world that we want to see, including imagining a different way of policing, I put that in air quotes, in the United States of America. That's it, and that's all, I mean, that's, 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 that's what we're talking about. Yeah. The final word. All I have to say is hallelujah up there. Hallelujah up there. Oh, our good, our good <laughs> reverend. <laughs> the right reverend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh man. man. This is, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you, Senator Turner. You, you are, you're somebody who I think is so important. Um, to this world and to this moment. And I'm glad that this podcast exists. It was overdue. And um, I thank you for the time and your team for doing the coordination. Well, Agnew, that love goes right back at you. We were able to do some really extraordinary things on the campaign trail, which is how we met. I want to give a big shout out to our sister, Renee Spellman, who brought us together. We clicked from that moment. And from barbershop to barbershop, from community to community all over this country, but especially in South, in the great state of South Carolina, uh, we worked our natural behinds off along with that team. And I am proud. It, we may not have gotten the result that we wanted, but we planted seeds and we cultivated there. And just so proud to see you shine and people really connected with you along this journey because you do have the type of street cred, the kind of compassion the intellect, you know, you have what what we call the emotional quotient and the intellectual quotient. See, everybody don't have both. Some people are smart, but they mean as hell. You know, you ever met those people, they smart, they know a lot, but you just don't even want to be around them. They just know. And then you have some people who are nice and kind and, 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 you know, they are all right. But when you meet somebody that has both of those ingredients, intellect and an emotional quotient, the ability to connect with people. Baby, you got lightning in the bottle. You have something that is extraordinarily special, and that's you, Philip Agnew. People can find you on Twitter at Feel Something. And that's P-H-I-L, standing for feel, feel something on the ground. And I feel something, P-H-I-L, something on Twitter. And then we do want them to follow Black Man Build on Twitter. And is Black Man Build on Instagram as well? Yep, we were able to get that one set. So Black Man Build on all the platforms. All the platforms. So Black Men Build. And allies and co-conspirators of Black Men can build too, baby. Yes, they can. So y'all go on yes, support. Support Brother Agnew. Support the Dream Defenders. I know you shout them out everywhere you go, Agnew. You still doing something special. We did a Sunday school. Woo-hoo-wee. Yes. Oh, yes. oh it was God. it was so now we've done I'm gonna tell you this real quick while I while I yes. we got five we've done five more Sunday schools now and the last one, Senator Turner, had thirty five hundred people on it. Shut your mouth. Thirty five hundred people on the last one. You can check that on, on the social media. We had Dr. Angela Davis, Terrell Brown, Kay. Uh, Derricka Pernell, 
it was it was an incredible, incredible lineup, but 3,500 people. So we've still been pushing that. So we've been doing that now for 10 weeks. And you started us off. It was beautiful. How, how can people find the Sunday school? And you don't have to be religious. This is not Sunday school in the religious tradition, even though there's some spirituality, but all are welcome, right? Let Come, all, all are welcome. What, how can they find the Sunday yep. school? Mm-hmm. Go to facebook.com slash dream defenders, and you can go on the Facebook page, and all of them are on there. And if you uh, if you email info, I-N-F-O, at dreamdefenders.org, they'll send you the link, too. Ooh-wee. Hello, somebody. Y'all going to go to Sunday school. It will edify your mind, your soul, your spirit, baby. Agnew, this has just been an absolute pleasure. Hello, somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.